This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to the 25th episode of the Practice of Learning Teams. Today's podcast is part two of our discussion with Gary Wong. Gary Wong is a complexity facilitator, or as I reference in this episode, more of a sense maker. Gary is based in Vancouver, British Columbia. Gary runs his own consulting practice focusing on complexity thinking and safety. Please join us now as we continue the conversation with Gary about his world of storytelling and making sense of complexity and safety and the work he is doing to help organizations learn from everyday work. The other piece of learning we're getting too, and this kind of goes into this statistical thing, and I, I don't share this a lot with frontliners because they'll start going, what's Gary smoking these days? You know, the difference between the normal bell curve Gaussian world mm -hmm. and the real world, which is Pareto, right? And it's that sort of stuff, power loss sort of stuff here. All I, all I kind of say to them is when we do a bell curving, we typically focus on the middle, the average, yep. and we forget the outliers. Because, you know, but in some cases, it's the outliers that are really, really important. Mm -hmm. They are the ones that kind of saying, I got a bad feeling about this in here. So we need to pay attention to that. If you do normal an analytics using probability curves, you don't get to see those. You ignore those. Yeah. So yeah. when we show the map, we say, look at where all the clusters are in a different contours here. Oh, look, you've got one story there all by itself. Mm -hmm. Once you click on that, read the story, and you tell me, is that something you want to look at or not? Right? So again, it's all about curiosity, Brent, right? Okay, absolutely. And, and I suppose, um, you know, the danger for organizations is not doing something with the information. Yes. It's because otherwise that, that can become a liability later on. Well, so, I can, yeah. It's no different to anything. I mean, if, if you ask people to report nemesis and don't act, you know, yeah. don't deal with it, if all these things, if you, if you click data, but fail to action it. And, and that includes, um, we, we've had a case recently um, uh, with some machinery where all the telematics that were being collected, nothing was done with it. Oh, yeah. So, so of course, um, this, 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 um, this thing called a straddle crane, this, you know, moving containers, it fell over. Well, oh. I mean, you know, the fact is the telematics showed uh, the G-forces had been exceeded you know, constantly, yeah. you know, all, all these things. Um, and, and, you know, we're using this technology, but people need to realize you actually have to make use of the data. And the data should be used for good, not bad. But if you don't use it, it can become bad for. Yeah. I, I stress your point when I do talk a bit about the um, five principles of HOP. Yeah. Number five being response matters. Yeah. So, but I talk about that, not just how we respond when a failure occurs, but how are you responding to all this dashboard information that you're getting yeah, here? Absolutely. Because if you don't respond to it, 
all that we're doing is conditioning people to say, eh, why bother? Yeah, why bother? Because uh, yeah, I share my story and no one does anything about it. Exactly. Right. I'm not in the feedback. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, because that destroys value. So what we, we suggest is that, okay, you don't want to kind of be reactive. <clears throat> and if you see a story, you immediately jump to it and do something here, because that's the squeaky wheel thing we want to avoid. But you may want to pick out one that's and then maybe do a newsletter release or post it on the safety bulletin board it says, you're, hey, thanks for letting us know about that forklift in here. Didn't know about that, we're on it. That's all you have to do. And somebody reads that going like, my God, yeah, it's just acknowledgement. Absolutely. It's not difficult, right? So, so what do you think is the future of all the stuff, Gary? What do you think is the future? Right. Okay. Well, one thing is the future is that we know the future is unpredictable. It's always uncertain. Yep, that's what's it's uncertain. Good. We know that here. So, um, I think the future is not spending a lot of the time, particularly senior leaders trying to craft some idealistic future state because you just don't know if that's going to materialize and you also could raise a lot of hopes and aspirations of people and then just go wham because something else happened we get hit with another pandemic for example that we didn't know about and everything comes crashing down so our thinking is don't even go there because of here so do what we call, and that co what we call is co-evolve the future. Work with your employees, engage them through their storytelling, because that's where the present is. So we always say, work with the present. Stay there, use your dashboard. So Brent, if we were gonna kind of go on a journey, <clears throat> a trip, where would you go? We may have some fuzzy destination, and maybe it's called a safety vision. We want to do this. And I'm all for that. Right? As long as you don't set targets and goals against it, I want to go there, which it's a North Arrow. So we actually have a direction. Um, sometimes we use the word vector mm -hmm. uh, because vector gives you a bit of heading and speed where right. you want to go to. Right? So then we say there, well, great, we have a map. This is the map that you guys generated from your stories. So please keep on entering stories so we can keep our map refreshed. Yep. This is kind of like in your car when you use GPS here. You want fresh data all the time, right? Oh, you want that, that data to validate right. that your journey, you're going in the right direction. Yeah. So like, now as we're going down this way, we want to kind of go like, okay, you learning teams where you can help is that you may want to explore this area here. You don't know if it's going to work. So it's a trial and error. It's what we call safe to fail or safe to try. It's small because we want to contain it because we don't want to do any more big launches because with big launches comes possibly big consequences with failures. Yeah. Keep them small so we can manage them. If we'd like kind of like what we're seeing from that, we'll accelerate it and do more. Oh, we did it with, with, with Department A. Let's try it with Department B now, or C, and let it grow. And if people like it, great. Great, but if you kind of see that, ooh, that was bad. You know, we thought we could drop Rule 17. Nope. Abandon that, come back, and say there, thanks guys for the learning. Let it go, right? Move on, right? Because in some cases, 
with learning teams, you actually do want failure because mm -hmm. you want to kind of find where the edges are, where you can kind of go and do along the way. So now management changes from being this top down control, command and control, which is good for the order system, but not good for the complex system here. So management, you have a different role. We now have to recognize is that, <clears throat> that people have multiple identities. You know, I can, I'm a, besides being a father, you know, and a, and a brother and whatever, workers can be like, I'm part of this process here, but I'm also part of this learning team. Oh, okay. I can have different identities, same person, different identities. So wanting to play those things out here. So now we want to do like, okay, your role now is really to central coordinate the data information coming back from all these different learning teams that you've got here. Because you still have the big job of prioritizing, figuring out, you know, this is four or five different things we can do to really shape our next normal in terms of safety. Yeah. Uh, can we do all five? Oh, uh, no. You guys have to prioritize that. As a learning team, I've done my thing. I said, here's something that's good. But I also understand too, because you've shared that there were four or five other ideas. Oh, make that decision. And when you make that decision, senior team here, you will allocate the resources for that. Because yeah. it's really all about time and resources here, right? Then what we do is that we'll go back to the map and we'll kind of see is that, you know, we're not doing a linear roadmap, straight line to get to our vision. We're kind of like dodging, weaving. So we're no longer wriggling along some train line. We're actually bobbing and weaving, navigating this little boat along this way here. Yeah. And you know, that's okay. Because as, you're, as we're navigating along here, new things are coming across the horizon. And some of those things may be very serendipitous. Oh, we didn't know, look at that. Why do we want to go here when we can go over there? Yeah. Yeah. So you now have the ability to pivot really quickly. Now, I will use for some teams the idea of agile. Mm -hmm. I'm careful about using agile. I'd rather use the word agility. Mm -hmm. In fact, I will use both. I'll say we need stability and we need agility. Yeah. So maybe 80% of you guys, you're in stability or the system here, keeping things running, humming, right? Particularly if you're a plant. But we need some 20% of you guys pull over here to do some agility stuff here and just check that out for us here. Oh, okay, new idea, bring that back. And then we'll document it, we'll implement that and that'll be part of our stability going forward. Mm -hmm. So that's where I kind of see the future like that. It's just going to evolve from the present. Which, uh, which actually just keeps going back to those um, Deming principles and, and principles around mm -hmm. lean which is about, it's all about continuous improvement. Yes. Um, and, yeah. and, I, and I think, you know, my, my view around safety is that uh, it's put too much focus around having that best practice model and having that mm -hmm. standardized operating system. When in actual fact, um, what, 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 we, we, what we talk about is how does the team best perform? So, so like in safety, and, and we, we take some, Todd talks about, you know, the sticky stuff, you know, the stuff that can kill you. Well, if there's a sticky, there's also some stuff that, that really matters, and we call that STRM. 
and that stuff that really matters needs to be present across those teams but the rest of the stuff doesn't have to be because that that's where it can really be adaptive in their own environment yeah yeah but if, oh. if you've got a machine there's going to be some things that have to be present because um we're trying to and, and that's probably go back to the engineering bit you, you you're trying to manage that um you're trying to manage an object and at the same time you're trying to influence those hazard situations that occur when the person is interfacing or interacting with the object. Right. And it's not one or the other, it's both have to go together. Exactly. And this is, and this is where the language becomes really important because I also will associate the concept of robustness yes. in order systems and stability here. You know, we want to be able to take a hit and keep on ticking as we kind of say, Want redundancy you want resilience. yeah right exactly all those sort of things reinforcement of assets all that sort of stuff here which we you know keep on doing it guys that's good stuff we need that but we also kind of say we talk about resilience yeah and resilience we look at and there's a gazillion definitions for resilience i know it's the obvious one is of course is bouncing back to where you are after a failure Correct. and we're kind of going yeah that's fast recovery here but think about it. Do you really want to bounce back to where you were? Because six months now, you're going to drift back and fall again. Yeah, yeah, you need yeah, to get to yeah, a better yeah, 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 yeah. operating place to go, if you can. Oh. Sorry, you've come back now. Sorry. Oh, okay. I lost you. That's okay. That's, that's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll edit that bit out. But no, we're okay. talking about bouncing forward. Yeah. Well, what we want to do then is that, and we talk about resilience in three ways. One is that you can do that fast recovery, which is everybody thinks about that, kind of going back to where you came from. Mm -hmm. uh, we kind of caution you whether you want to do that, because that, may be, that much could be just returning to a best practice, which is really not best anymore. Right? <clears throat> the second one is that what you can do is that you can actually say, oh, there's an opportunity here. Let's pull a learning team together and explore how can we kind of like do something better than before here. So quite often I'll ask some clients, okay, you've had an accident. Yes, we put the emergency restoration crew in place. They've been well-trained in the officer. That's great. So do you actually have an opportunity team? A what? Uh, you know, because you know, let, let's, let's take advantage of a crisis. Let's, what can we learn from that? Because when you just go back to where you came from, what did you learn? Oh, never thought about that. Well, maybe you need to think is how fast can you assemble and put a learning team together here to start exploring so we can shift the operating point so we don't keep on filling on that one there as well. And, and look, sadly, Gary, I think COVID-19 has actually reinforced that. Oh, yeah. That the teams we use to prevent and respond to COVID-19 are not the same teams that we use to recover. Mm -hmm. Because, because yeah. you know, that they, they work in different modes. They are different types. And, and, and I think the stuff that you're talking about, um, COVID-19 has reinforced systems of brittle, people are adaptable, um, how we respond matters. All those things are really coming out. And, and the countries that are doing well, the countries that are doing well, um, uh, are, are the ones that 
are taking these as learning opportunities. Yes, yeah. And, and it's really interesting, I, I was um, uh, uh, doing a piece of work yesterday and, and New Zealand has been touted as one of those leading countries in that area. But it's really interesting, when I, when I looked at the data, there were many other countries doing just as well, particularly in the Asian countries. Mm -hmm. But the press keeps focusing on the European-based countries. Uh -huh. just, I, find it, I find it sort of fascinating. And, and is that because of this stigma of where, of where it may have started? Therefore, it flows down. And, and it's just, I'm just sort of wondering, it's like a little mini living term in its own, in its own right, that yeah, it, there are yeah. many other countries that are doing really well at, at um, and, and we talked before the podcast, we talked about this difference between elimination and eradication. Whereas I look at the US now, and the US is purely what we call suppression. Trying to suppress the numbers from from um, killing your health system, if that makes sense. Yeah. Whereas well, it, yeah, it it also leads to me thinking about you know the differences between Western thinking yes. and Eastern thinking here, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Or even in the in the area of debate, Western people with Plato and Socrates, they like the idea of debate, you know, beating each other, up. and you know, we're seeing yeah. that. Safety one versus safety two, bashing it all out with the tribes. Right? Diverse, yeah. Right. Yeah, or maybe Eastern thinking is more about collaboration. And where is the bridge between safety one and safety two? And just last November, um, we did a webinar, um, and Dominic Cooper was on that. And there, and we were talking about the Kinevan framework. And Dom came out on the webinar because we said it was called like, I can see how the Kinema framework with its both and be able to create the bridge between safety one and safety two. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that we're kind of working on right now is let's see in 2021 if we could start uh, kicking down some fences between. Because in some cases, we're having a violent agreement, you know, <clears throat> a violent argument. But we're really looking at the same thing, just well, looking at it differently. And look, I, I, I would say to you that those that um, division, that division can sometimes be quite deliberate, because when we look at um, when we look at what we call the early adopter and innovative market, they actually they actually like creating that that um, that whole division that goes yeah. on. Um, yeah. There was a really good book that I read in the 90s called The, um, uh, the Gorilla Game, Crossing the Chasm, yeah. which, which basically looked at organizations that innovate are, are seldom ever the same companies that make the mainstream market. And, and it used the example of the, uh, the personal digital assistant. Okay. Um, so, um, I don't know if you can remember something called the Apple Newton. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, that, that was that was the first personal digital assistant. Mm -hmm. But the one that became mainstream was things like the Palm Pilot right. and the Black. Is that a keyboard? Right, a little keyboard. Yeah. And yeah. then they all got all got knocked out when Apple introduced the iPhone. Yeah. yeah. Where the where the personal digital assistant no longer was a thing because it simply became part of a phone. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, one, one of the things that we talk about in Cognitive Edge, particularly Dave, he, 
he talks about the apex predator theory mm -hmm. on that one there, right? <clears throat> and um, and he used some of the stuff that Clayton Christensen talked a bit about as well as being disruptive here, right? And in some cases, you know, we, we have this marketing view that, okay, you want to be, you know, first mover, out there first to the market to capture market share. There's that theory, but there's the other thought, well, well, let those pioneers get out there and get eaten by the crocodiles and snakes and whatever here. They're blazing the path, which is great because we'll kind of learn from them. We'll come in afterwards and we'll do a much better job. Thank you very much, Pioneer, but uh, you're no longer around or maybe we have to buy you up and absorb you into us. Sure, well, we'll, we'll take their learnings. So, so a lot of the work that we're doing is, is that we're looking at how things like learning teams can be used within certain functions of safety or certain functions of quality or operational excellence. Make sense? Yeah. 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 But staying true to a set of core philosophies because your risk always remains weaponization. Yeah. Yeah. Because the and already exists. Yeah. And here's the real challenge is trying to actually create a cadre of, of workers that can be on a learning team as opposed to develop the team itself. Yeah. And this is the concept we've been looking at with crews, particularly you look at Navy SEAL teams. Um, they're basically crews. So what's, what does that mean? That each individual is trained to understand their role, whatever here. And when the commander kind of says, I need you four guys, here's the role that you're gonna play. They go and they do the mission here. Mm -hmm. And after the mission is done, they adjourn, right? So that's that last step after what it's um, forming, storming, norming, performing, there's adjourn as well, because some teams don't want to break up because they bonded. bonded. So, <laughs> so we want to go like, well, no, because there are opportun other opportunities you can, well, you actually get to form another crew or team and, and you know how to work here. To me, in the future, that would be the ideal sort of organization is that you have a bunch of workers that know how to be on a team when asked and called upon. A really good organization would allow self-organization to take place, which is a natural phenomenon. Yes. That you don't need some leader goal like, oh, we need to assemble. No, the leaders here is, uh, we had this problem here. We decided to form a team we fixed the problem, here's the results. Oh, thank you. That's what we really want to get to, we can. Which is really what um, Lean does quite a bit. Yeah. Tries to do. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, but it makes sense. Because once again, that what they talk about is they talk about that management's job is to support those teams mm -hmm. and applying those successes. Makes sense, support them in that. And that goes back to this idea, and um, I'll use another word. Yeah. Um, it's about being a boundary spanner. <clears throat> so boundary spanner, not in the sense of hierarchical levels, management, workers, supervisors, whatever, but spanning between order system mm -hmm. as well as the complex system as well. Yeah. Because what we're going to do with teams, because teams, first thing a team is going to do is, What's what system? Where are we? What system are we in? Oh, it's a causal system here, right? Let's pull our traditional root cause analysis tools, our hammer, bang, fix the problem. Great. Yeah. 
as opposed to like, no, we need a screwdriver here. Yeah. Different way to do it, right? So we need to get them to understand that. That's the first thing to do is know where you are in the present. Absolutely. Hence while facilitation is so important. Oh, around it, yeah. ha having and and a lot of those are soft skills, not technical skills. Yeah, is, is, is yeah, and I and I try to make the difference because you know, like most of my career, I actually was a consultant over yeah. the order system. I didn't really know about the complex system yes. until then. You get your eyes opened up, then I realize, oh my God, I spend most of my career with one eye open. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Well, that's learning. That's learning, and you know, all I'm you happy is that. Got my eye open. I, there could be a third eye. I don't know. Well, oh, no, I believe in, in, uh, in Eastern <laughs> religions, there is a third eye. So. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm open to that. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm not going to that can't exist. <laughs> but, but in the complex system, you now become a facilitator. Yes. Because it's not about you, it's about the team. And the team has to recognize, too, it's not about them. It's all about the relationships and the interactions. Yes. And all that we're trying to do is influence behavior. Yes. We're not trying to change no, individual no. behavior. No, that's, no. that's not easy for some people to understand that, but I mean, that's a major shift in thinking. Yeah. People change their own behavior, but that's, but that's based on, on, on them taking something um, um, embedding into their schema and seeing the value from it. So, so we've we've coined a phrase, um, functional diversity. Yeah, yeah. I saw your video about that. Same yeah, idea. because diversity you know, because that's really important. Well, by, by the way, anytime you use the word diversity, you get brownie points. So, so you know, you get all these points start coming in because because that that's the thing that actually matters because it's it's actually being able to see those different views and those different perspectives because other people can gain value from that. Now we're not. We don't want people to all be the same. That's not the objective. Right. We, we have, we're individuals. We have our, <clears throat> you talk about biases are normal. We, we need to embrace the fact that, that, that biases exist. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know, we can't all be the same. Yeah. It was interesting when I was looking at some of the videos, um, I think it's with Todd, when I think the question is asked, like, um, how, many, how many people should be on a, on a learning team? Yeah some of the advice that we're giving is uh, make sure there's at least three on there. Yes. With two, not so good. With, with an even number of four, you could get into a tie. We're finding three seems to be a good number. So now when you talk about diversity, you can also talk a bit about diversity in terms of former team have one person <clears throat> that's the old salt. 30 years of experience. Mm -hmm. Second person would be some newbie that's maybe just joined the company, only been here for a couple yep. of years. Maybe in, maybe in marketing yeah. or in yeah. IT, whatever. Second person. And the third person is somebody who's got some formal power and authority to make things happen. Yeah. Right? How, let's see how far these three can come in here. And if you understand the crew concept, at any point in time, you can draw somebody in. Thank you. Leave now. Thank you. Leave now. Yeah. Right? But your core is three. We find that with three, there's just so much better movement along the way, and there's more action takes place. Well, uh, the good news is there's actually some science to support that. And we actually we showed that science in the book. 
because we, we actually, there was some science that looked at um, the ideal numbers of people to do, to do complex um, equation solving. And mm -hmm. it basically identified that, that three was the minimum and that that past seven or eight didn't really add any more to it Correct. so they were saying it's at three to seven or eight was the yeah. perfect cluster yeah to to look at doing complex problem solving was was that was that research was so i thought it was quite fascinating because yeah. because what we've seen and i understand what why todd talks about trying to limit the number because you can get personalities that start to dominate We've mm -hmm. done learning teams with up to 40 people, but that's because we've got multiple facilitators mm -hmm. involved. It makes sense. Yeah. And, yeah. And, we, and we start them uh, in a main group, and then, we, and then as we explore context, we might create subgroups. But what you've got here is you've got different people playing different roles, trying to manage that, that complexity of human behavior that exists in a group dynamic. Yeah. Now, one, one of the tools, instruments that we're going to actually be rolling out and we're developing right now um, <clears throat> with Dave, um, with, with Dominic, yes. uh, with Sunny Gopal and Marion Kiley, we're creating um, a safety, what we call mass sense. Right. The idea of a mass sense is that anybody in the world can actually enter their story mm -hmm. and they can participate there because they're trying to really shape what that narrative landscape kind of looks like on that one there. Yeah. From that, we hope they'll be able to pull out, here's some very interesting scenarios yeah. that a smaller learning team can take away and kind of use Correct. and examine here. What we're trying to actually capture isn't the kind of like medium of the bell curve. We're trying to find the outliers mm -hmm. and the ones that go like, oh my God, we never thought about that could happen. So we're looking for the unknown unknowns. Yep. We're looking for the unknowables and the unimaginables because yeah. somewhere around the world, there probably somebody could be thinking about it, but we don't know. Let's invite them and hopefully they can see us enter something here and we can go like, that's worth exploring. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, Gary, I've got to say, um, this has been a, a deeply meaningful conversation we've had today. And I'd love to invite you back and to uh, join us on one of our mini learning team sessions when I when I get all my colleagues together so that we can sort of take one of these things that we're talking about and do a bit more of a, well, we call them a mini learning team. So, so hopefully you'd be up for that. Yeah, well, I think, you know, if all goes well, um, we will actually invite people like yourself with, and, the other t and, and Brent Glennis to participate in that. Yeah. And then maybe a subsequent session would be, I come back there and we'll go on the dashboard Yeah. and we'll do a live session and we'll look at the data together at the first time. Why not? Why not? Why not? That's amazing. Kind of show you like, you know, this is what the future looks like today. Nice. We can do this. This is a dashboard and there's so much stuff here that we can look at as opposed to guessing where we should what we should do we we will play hunches as we call it because it is adaptive reasoning but these are educated guesses based on what the people are telling us how powerful is that that's super powerful and look i've learned so much today and and thank you very much for your time 
Well, thank you too, Brent. And I, I look forward to coming back here and uh, sharing some more stories with you. Absolutely. Thank you, listeners, for being part of this podcast. We'd love to hear your learnings from today or other topics you would like us to support you on. Go to www.podcastlearnings.com and be part of the community practice of learning teams at www.learningteamscommunity.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.